You're listening to We're Only Human, hosted by Ben Eubanks on the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network. We're Only Human focuses and highlights how modern technology and new ways of working are creating a more people-centric workplace. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.h3hr.com. Greetings, everybody, and welcome back to this episode of We're Only Human. I'm Ben Eubanks, and I'm glad to be back with you. It's been a busy, busy, busy spring travel season for conferences and all that other good stuff. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of interest in some of our research over at Lighthouse, both from the practitioner side as well as the vendor community. In terms of the analytics, we've actually had more downloads and more reports and our research in the last month than in the previous three or four combined. And that's really a good thing. You know, the analyst community is here to help provide insight and advice and as I've always said, it's nice to blend that data with some practical experience so that we have the information we can actually use, right? At the end of the day, we need that. It's good stuff. And speaking of data and practical advice, in this episode, I interview Ruth Valoria. She's the executive dean of the School of Business at University of Phoenix. And I recently published an episode around innovation that I'm still getting a lot of feedback on. So I was focused on eight ways that HR leaders can drive enterprise innovation and really feed that through the business. So continuing that vein, because that was so popular, Ruth and I talk about a piece of recent research performed by the University of Phoenix around what constitutes innovation. The study looks at how employees and hiring managers perceive innovation in those around them and what it means for business today. All in all, you know, it's just a fun conversation, lots of good data points and research. Ruth was a great guest. She shared some good practical advice as well for how to take advantage of this. So I hope you enjoy the discussion. Hey, everybody. It's Ben. And today I'm very glad to welcome Ruth Valoria, Executive Dean of the School of Business at University of Phoenix, to the show. Welcome, Ruth. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. So I run our business school here at the University of Phoenix. It's about 40% of our student body here at the university, which makes for really quite a large number of students. Any day, between 50 and 60,000 students are attending, studying from anything from associates all the way to doctoral degrees at the university. And it's my job really to be in charge of all the academic programming, uh, to be in charge of our relationships with employers, and thinking through our relationships also as a school with our operations support partners our folks in enrollment, student services, counseling, who help our students on a daily basis. So I'm kind of the integrator of all the touch points for the student, whether it's through curriculum or servicing, to help them successfully graduate. Awesome. Well, we're honored to have you with us. This is going to be a good conversation today. So I recently ran across this really interesting study of innovation that had been put together by the University of Phoenix. And I thought it would be really interesting to explore some of those findings today that are relevant to the, the HR, the business leaders that listen to the show. But before I jump into some of the research and the stats, can you tell me a little about why, why the university decided to undertake the study? Because um, I, I think it's interesting. Well, so, you know, as a university that's focused on the success for uh, adults, right, who, who are mostly working, and we're really very focused on career-relevant education, it is imperative that we stay up to date with what the trends are, what hiring managers um, and just generally business leaders care about. And, of course, when we talk to CEOs through our relationships, innovation is absolutely on the top three agenda for, um, for, those, for those CEOs. So 
what we wanted to do with this survey is really understand what do employers say when they, you know, what do they mean when they say innovation, what do employees say, um, what do they want by way of professional development, what does employers think they need. Uh, so that usage is basically a direct input into the way that we develop curriculum at the university. So that's why we really got, dig in deep and do these surveys to help us make sure our education is career relevant. It's on target, right? What, the thing I thought was really interesting was that you didn't just ask one group or the other, but you surveyed both, and that gives you the chance to really see what those what those mm-hmm. differences are between the two. Because as we as we know, they're they don't always see eye to eye. So, do you recall what were some of the key differences between the employer and the employee focused studies? Yeah. So you know, it's it's funny. It's that everyone, as you can imagine, in this survey comes to life, brings to life the perspective, whatever they want to see oftentimes. So, of course, the survey found that employees want to be developed, but then about a third of those that we talked to said they weren't really confident in their employer's professional development program. So that was one big, you know, aha moment there. We, we, the employers are providing the development, but employees are not necessarily confident in what's being provided. Um, so... It's really important that while our own individuals in organizations are often perceiving themselves as being innovative and therefore somewhat held back by what's happening at their company, whether that's a lack of resources or a lack of training, on the other side of that equation, the employers are looking at folks they're bringing into the organization and saying, well, you know, I think a lot of these people here are missing key innovative traits, and so they're really trying hard to think of what are the ways that we can really grow and develop those innovative traits in the employees, or certainly can we find them, you know, when we're hiring in the hiring process. Very interesting. I know one of the, one of the stats that I thought was interesting, there was an infographic that I run across that was the, the gateway for me into the study, and it said that and employees think they have some level of innovative abilities, but just 8% mm-hmm. of the hiring managers think that their employees excel at that. Right. And so right. you'd expect to be there a gap there, but that was pretty, pretty large. It surprised me, actually. Yeah. So let's go. Um, what's next? One of the pieces from the study pointed out that about 33% of hiring managers said that innovativeness is a teachable skill. And I think that's interesting in itself, but uh, another group of them, about 46% said that it is sometimes, it depends on the person. So you mentioned this a minute ago, how can managers Mm -hmm. look for those kinds of things in the hiring process? So, you know, I'm a product of going through the world of management consulting where we have to do a lot of innovative thinking on behalf of our clients. And the way that we were put through the ringer during interviews was through a lot of case study-based questions. And if you put people in scenarios, maybe scenarios they haven't encountered before, you know, always the famous uh, case study for a consulting firm is how many gas stations you think you are and you think there are in the United States. But putting somebody in a very unfamiliar situation, something they haven't really necessarily had to tackle before, allows you to really see if your candidate is a creative problem solver. So sprinkling in some of these off-the-wall questions not the ones that somebody would have, you know, rehearsed and prepared the standard speech for, I think allows you to see do they have that capacity to think on their feet. And, you know, you're obviously looking for somebody who has a healthy respect for what the the rules and the protocols are, but innovators are always the ones that have found their way around some of the protocols. So some behavioral questions that really get underneath 
you know, is this a person who's worked out how to safely break the rules and, and taken some risk in a way that was uh, recognized and rewarded as opposed to, you know, been disrespectful of the process? Those, again, could be great ways to, to, to see, are you talking to somebody who has this capacity to think outside the box and to, you know, really be pushing themselves to bring creativity into the organization? Excellent. Yeah, I have a good friend that uh, now has, has spent years working as an HR executive, and one of the things he said he looks for when he's building his own team, because we usually don't think of people in this profession as very innovative in general, I guess, just uh, just do the nature of the work that we have to do. But he said his focus is always on high detail, low rules orientation, someone that uh-huh. can take care of those key things, but they're not focused on the process as much as making sure they're getting to the end result they need to, whatever path that might take, creation, yeah. creativity, innovation, and so on, you know, all lumped in there together. So I think that's an interesting look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Policies in general. About uh, 40% of large business hiring managers said in the study that they have policies or dedicated teams to help encourage innovation. And one of the questions that that brings to mind for me is, does having a dedicated team that's focused on innovation make it less likely to happen for the other people that don't have that task to them? So, you know, I would say, um, given the pace of change in today's organization, that innovation just fundamentally has to be a responsibility of everyone in the organization. And so sometimes people narrowly think of innovation and they just focus it in on, uh, you know, bringing to market brand new products. But innovation happens at every part of the organization, every level of the organization. could be operations and process. Innovation, it could be happening in the finance department, somebody working out a faster way to go from invoice to payment, as well as the, you know, the sexy things that we tend to think of, like the new iPhones and the iPads, so the, the cool new products. So um, it's important if you want to really compete given this pace of change, that you are building in a culture of support for innovation across the whole organization. And, of course, it's uh, well known and very true that the frontline employees who are often those closest to the customer understand their wants and needs a lot better sometimes than the CEOs that are sitting in the corner offices. In fact, you know, which is why, again, this is standard practice in a lot of uh, companies when CEOs go out to visit their field operations that they don't just go into the headquarters and interview the local operating officer, but they go actually out and meet with customers and be in their facilities because being close to customers is the way to hear what the needs are that you can then develop solutions for. So um, while it is often helpful to have a group set aside who are thinking, especially on those new product uh, introduction elements, every leader should be working with their teams all the way down to the folks that are touching their um, customers and saying, what are we hearing, what are we finding out about that could help us do business better tomorrow? And so, um, you know, that's, that's a sort of a culture of listening. And then, of course, you can always augment that with professional development that may encourage those skills and spark that creativity in individual employees. But, you know, I certainly believe that you can teach innovation, but it does have to be a cultural emphasis that everybody plays a role in getting to an innovative set of solutions. 
Well, I'm glad. I'm so glad that you pointed out the difference in product innovation and process innovation because that's one of the challenges I have talking about the, the subject with, with people is everybody instantly thinks, well, I'm not creating anything or I'm not uh-huh. delivering this thing to the end customer, so it doesn't matter. I'm not responsible for that. But again, you, you touched on it, even finance or someone that runs yeah. a specific process in the company internally can deliver greater value to internal customers, which in turn can enable the organization to deliver greater value to the external customers. We just got to make sure that we're doing those things right. And everybody needs to, needs to wear that hat of ownership, like you were saying. So I really agree yeah. with that for sure. So, I mean, there's a lot of ideas floating around. Um, yeah. Ideas are worth a dime a dozen, but how do companies get the, the ideas from their employees? How can they solicit those? And I know you talked about the cultural aspect of it. I definitely agree with creating a culture that's, that is open and encourages those things um, because, again, we've all worked in companies that might not have been so open and uh, yeah. <laughs> allowing and encouraging those kind of things. But I'm kind of curious what you, what you would say are the key ways that companies can do that. Yeah, so um, we have a little bit of information from my survey, actually, about the ways um, some of our employers talked about what they do to solicit innovative ideas. Um, Actually, top of the list was just having regular meetings to promote new ideas. So I know one thing we do at the University of Phoenix here, here in the business school, we actually have a monthly session where we sit down with our frontline teams who are serving our students, and we ask them, you know, to tell us what are the basically the policies or the procedures or whatever that are most um, grinding down progress for students. And so we we get those ideas surfaced on a very regular basis. So that, again, that's a sort of a monthly meeting that we have in our school. Um, And then, of course, there is the annual planning process, which often starts off a a cascade of folks being tasked with, hey, you know, this is your business unit. What kind of ideas can you have for improving the business, and so that starts with them presenting an idea to their manager and moving up the ladder to higher management, ultimately can become part of the annual budget. So around a third of a company companies really sort of think of that as the most preeminent way that they get their ideas up and, and thought through. But, you know, I've, as we know, um, what's, what gets sort of measured and paid attention to is the things that happen in an organization. So either public recognition or reward system for new ideas also um, will we'll drive the innovation. So, again, another example from University of Phoenix, we have a Sperling Award. If you might recall, John Sperling was the innovator who started the University of Phoenix and I took on online learning at a time when it was really not popular or even well understood. And so every year we give out an award for innovation in um, an annual leadership meeting that our president runs. And then there's a separate set of awards. There are also president awards for another um, other series of things that people do to empower excellence in the organization. So public recognition is a great way to go, one we use here. And then, of course, there are also organizations who create financial incentives. So if you come up with a good enough idea and put together the business case, you may well be spun off to run that new business idea. That's more typical, right, with a new product launch than perhaps with a process innovation and given some financial stake in the success of the idea. So those reward systems uh, also can definitely foster innovation to come forward. So those are the ones that we certainly saw in the survey. And, and again, I have personal experience uh, with almost every one of those. Excellent. Well, that one, uh, one of the last ones you talked about, focusing on spinning out and starting a new company, we actually interviewed someone 
a couple episodes back around the gig economy, and that was there. They started out within Coca-Cola. They created this okay. new system that allowed people to schedule uh, workers to come and fill in open shifts. And then they uh-huh. spun out and became a new company separately because they were able to solve that problem so well. And it was so different from Coke's uh, focus and vision for the company. They said, you know, we will fund this, we'll support it, but it needs to be its own entity after this because it was so different. But it was a neat idea of yeah. something, again, solving a very basic problem for them. And they're still s- supporting the company just from outside the walls. So Yeah, no, th- and that's interesting because the flip side of that happens too, right, where companies are struggling to innovate and so they actually go find a small startup on the outside and then try and bring, um, bring them in. Sometimes they have the name for that called the aqua hire, where they're buying a small technology startup. And then essentially those people are coming on staff to help drive innovation in that line of business within their organization. Now, those can be tricky to pull off because it is not uncommon for the culture of the large organization to squelch some of the creative, you know, creativity and innovation. Uh, this famous annual operating plan process I was just talking about a minute ago can be mm-hmm. a, a major source of that squelching when we're, we're trying to derive the all metrics of operational improvement and incremental performance in the P&L onto something which is a really creative angle that could be generating revenue five years from now. It doesn't always fit in the box, but mm-hmm. as well as companies spinning people out, they also have to sometimes buy them in and hope mm-hmm. that they can keep them and grow those ideas and, and have them impact their business. I mean, just think about, you know, Amazon buying Zappos, for example. Now, those are two very large institutions at the time, but it's that sort of idea of bringing that culture from the outside in. Absolutely. And like you said, they were very, in that example, they were very specific about not crushing the culture and, and taking right. taking it over and changing it at the time when they, they were very specific about leaving the organization's firewall off in terms of operations for that very reason. So that's a really good example to kind of round that one off. Excellent. One of the things you mentioned a minute ago was that people need access to professional development as a way to mm-hmm. drive innovation. And I know from the study it talked about hiring managers believing that their organizations have these cross-functional learning opportunities. How are people, these methods, what they look like in practice, how can we really encourage innovation? You said you think it's teachable, so help us understand how to teach that. Yeah, so, um, well, I mean, there's several different ways, right? So, I mean, I've been lucky enough in my time to work with some of the premier um, innovation design firms like IDEO. So, you know, we have been working with us at the University of Phoenix for a while. Uh, Obviously, they are very closely tied into Stanford and the Stanford Design School. So you can do consulting projects with firms like that, put people into real projects, and they learn the skills. You could send them away for a week uh, to do a residential kind of design thinking course. Or the thing that we um, have been using with success at the University of Phoenix, actually just an online, you know, I take it at your own pace, um, course that shows you different ways that ideas, things that approaches that different innovators have taken, goes through the key skills of innovators, questioning, observing, networking, associating. Um, You know, there are definitely patterns that these chief innovators have learned over time. If you keep practicing these behaviors on a regular basis, um, you, you start to sort of look at the world with the new eyes. 
So whether that is through drip, drip, drips, a little online course that you're checking in every week and doing some assignments, or as I say, going away residentially for a week, or working on a project in your organization but with a third party that has those innovation methods, and then your people are learning by doing, because of course, right, the rules of learning, learning by doing is always, is always better. But the more organizations can pull together task forces, another example from University of Phoenix would be We've had a um, high potential talent development program here for a while where we'll pull together uh, about 20 to 25 of our leaders and put them in a program that spans over nine months. But in those nine months, they're getting some um, personal assessment, skills-based training, and then also they have to develop an idea that will help the university. First time we did it, it had to be a $100 million revenue idea. And so they're coming together in cross-functional teams. They're learning some things about innovation and strategy, and then they're applying it immediately through doing these project-based training. Uh, so it's, it's, it's you know, coming together to actually make a presentation to senior management yes. and get sponsorship. And you, when you do things like that, you absolutely have to pre-recruit in the senior leaders because the senior leaders can give good guidance on what's already been done and understood about the topic and what they most need help with. But pairing up high potentials and executives with problems is a good way to get hands-on experience. In, um, and that's what, you know, what I would mean in talking about a cross-functional uh, work team yeah. or learning opportunity. That, that, rem- that reminds me of a story a couple years ago. I had published a case study on Walgreens, and they did something very similar, executive action learning projects. Again, it's not just taking away and putting them in a classroom for, for a week or two, but it's let's put your hands on the business process that's broken or needs more efficiency or you know, whatever, wherever else it might be. And they try to get to some actual outcome for the business. And I think that, that uh, target revenue idea that you mentioned is, is uh, both scary and exciting at the same time, because right. you don't need all of them to hit, hit that. You need one or two to hit that. And, and it's uh, a windfall. So it's exciting to see um, kind of how you guys are putting that into practice in, the, in your own organization and how you're, you're helping to, to drive the innovation in your people um, really sure. So yeah. what, let's say these hiring managers say mm-hmm. that um, one of the things they, they think that is important is this new approach to these older ideas. Yeah. Maybe it's creativity, maybe it's forward thinking, these different traits that are missing in their current employees. Um, I know one of the things that pointed out in the study is managers think that that their employees are missing these things, and that's a big chunk, um, I would think, if we're going to really create an innovative sort of culture if a third of our people are missing those. So what would you say is the link here? Is it just connect back to the hiring process? Are these companies looking for these traits? Are they trying to develop them later? What's the the right approach there? Is it it an either-or or an and approach? Well, yeah, I mean, I would imagine um, and is going to have to be um, the approach because we definitely have a a whole slew of hiring managers. Over a quarter of the ones we spoke to said they would hire an innovative thinker despite not having all the technical skills. And, you know, this is a little bit like some of the – all the the talk we have about soft skills in the marketplace right now, right? You can always learn the technical skills, but having that creative thinking, that way to come up with the new ideas – um, those are things that they're hoping you come with a foundation of because they can sometimes be harder to teach or take longer to teach than the technical skills do. So I, I think you want to try to find 
those innovators on the front end through the interview process, as we talked about earlier. And then um, for the rest, you want to use some combination of the approaches that we were just discussing on how to apply uh, innovation, think design thinking, and, and other innovation skills so that you can uh, begin to cement it out. And oftentimes, um, this is something that Intuit does very well, you can have a center of excellence, which is really the, the hub for where they have their methodology. Um, at Intuit, they call it design for delight. And they have that hub, a center of excellence. And then that hub works with the different unit leaders and um, basically gets called in if you like to begin to grow that culture, to, to grow the approach of those methodologies in each of their different business units. And so that's a way to you know, be taking the raw talent that you have and really trying to inject some of those innovation skills in each one, but doing it in a way that really represents what you believe is the best practice for your industry, for your company. So you're going to have to do both, both the professional development and also you know, hiring in. And, um, and of course, if you want to set up a center of excellence, it's, it's going to be important to really bring in somebody who's done that somewhere else before to help really seed those skills in your organization. Excellent. I've got some really good notes in this. I think everybody else has probably enjoyed it as well. So this has been really just a lot of fun to explore the subject of innovation with you, Ruth. Um, if someone else wants to learn more about the study, I'll make sure to link it in the show notes. But is there sure. anything that you want to leave us with in terms of a takeaway or anything else that you want to, want to say before we wrap up? Yeah, I, thought, I mean, look, I think that the key thing to, to know, right, we said at the beginning there's this disconnect. Hiring managers want the creativity and forward thinking. And we know that employees want to be in organizations where they use their creativity and forward thinking, yet somehow that's not being um, encouraged. And I think the key thing to leave you with is, is, is employers should think about the three main barriers that they may be putting in front of their employees. The first is are they giving them the time to spend on innovative thinking, right? That's a, that's a practice in some of our more innovative companies to carve out time. Second thing, are they providing funding? Do they have a set of money, an R&D pool, or a little um, experimental fund that they're using to, to go and fund then the people who come forward with the new ideas? And then are there other resources in the organization, just maybe as simple as, you know, have we deployed a lot of the latest technology tools, whether that's in data analytics or it's in, um, you know, cyber or the underpinnings of the latest software as a service that could allow us to lean out our process. Are, are companies providing an environment um, that has resources in it that employees can learn from and then use to be more nimble? You know, if one thing slows us down in the University of Phoenix, I would say it's, it's our IT infrastructure. This is common for a lot of big companies. So if they're not investing in the infrastructure that can allow for more nimble approaches to business, then it can also be frustrating for employees because they get bogged down in the old. So I would just ask employers to think about those three things, time, funding, and then resources like new technologies. Those are the three biggest barriers to innovation. And then, you know, to address those in conjunction with the hiring and training that we've talked about today, I think that will put people on a path to having more success. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you again, Ruth. It's been so much, so much fun chatting with you, and I really appreciate you taking the time with us today. You're very welcome.
Thanks for listening to We're Only Human with Ben Eubanks on the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network. To learn more and to listen to the show archives for We're Only Human and all the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network shows, go to www.h3hr.com. And remember to subscribe to the HR Happy Hour Network podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast player app.